Matt. Matt. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, sweetheart. Happy Valentine's Day to you, too. This is the Valentine's oh, Day episode. Boy. We And I cannot imagine a more. We, we literally have a human heart as the guest this week. The, the most, uh, the sweetest, the, the calmest energy. Um, uh, Daryl Stevens is uh, something else. And he and we get an exclusive from That's him right. in this one. There's breaking news, and uh, you know, I, I know everybody listening to this already knows who he is and is in love with him as we are. But prepare to fall even deeper in love with with Daryl Stevens. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I had a yeah. What's going on? Well, something very exciting happened in this house on Friday night when we were as last Friday night, uh, as everyone else was. We were watching the. Britney Spears doc on Hulu, the New York Times Mm -hmm. documentary, Mm -hmm. Framing Mm -hmm. Britney Spears. Mm -hmm. And I knew you were in it, but I forgot and I gasped when Dave Holmes popped up. Oh, Oh, well, I a little bit forgot that I was in it, too. Um, I I really I have heard from approximately every human being I've ever met in my entire life. Everybody seems to have watched that thing. Uh, Young and old. Uh, coast to coast. Everyone seems to have watched. I'm very happy. Um, obviously, the shit is dark. Yeah. Um, the subject matter is uh, is dark. I'll give you a little uh, a little, little behind the scenes dirt. Um, we filmed in Calabasas on a 105 degree day oh, wow. <laughs> in like September or something like that. Like super duper crazy hot day. Um, so every time that like. The times I'm talking, I'm talking. Every other time, I'm I'm hitting myself in the face with a towel. Wow! Um, it was unbelievable. I was so it, full, full chest sweat, full pit sweat. It was it was bad news. Well, you, but anyway, you look hot. That you don't look hot in that way. You just you look hot. Oh, you look great. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a sad story. Oh. Um, and you know what? I'm I'm happy that. Uh, they took the position that they did on Justin Timberlake. What do you mean? You know what I mean? I mean that they, you know, we get a little bit into Crimea River and how ungentlemanly oh, a thing that God, was yeah. to do to an ex. Just how, I remember that details cover that they showed. I I had that issue yes. where it's like Justin Timberlake, you know, he's finally done making sissy music, but at least he got into Britney's pants. It was like, fuck this and fuck him. Fuck this. But at the time, it was just like that's right. That was that didn't even pop. Like that was just the way that people that was spoke and behaved. And I feel like it is. Yeah, I know everyone is saying like, "I'm sorry, Brittany is is trending on Twitter." But and I, but I I I so feel that because Michael said as we were watching, like, God, I feel disgusting for every link I ever clicked, everything I ever laughed yeah. at about her. You know, just the sense that we collectively are all responsible for whatever you believe, like however sort of down the hole you're willing to go in terms of the free Britney Mm -hmm. movement, Mm -hmm. you know, what has happened to her? It's on all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad news. Um, I, and you know, I I was happy to see, uh, Babs Gray. Yes. And, uh, and Tess Barker make an appearance. Um, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm now hearing, you know, from a lot of, a lot of free Britney folks and, you know, and I, and I will just say, I don't have anything more to say about the whole situation. So I'm not, you know, um, it's it's a sad story, and I don't I don't want to get into like the gay QAnon of it all. Right. You know what I mean? I I, I just kind of it's 
I hope that she is getting help. I hope that she is okay. But I don't. I don't have any further details about the the legal uh, doings. And you say it so well in in the doc that like these when people go down the rabbit hole of like she's she's written the word help into her eyelashes and you know mm-hmm. that you can you're able to to bring whatever your own baggage is into this sort of Britney story exactly um, but whether she is sending us coded messages or not it, it's just it's fucked up we've got a free britney yeah. i don't have a hot take either other than free britney other than free britney yeah i uh, yeah it feels it feels increasingly weird to watch those uh videos yes yes but i still might um i have as do you a new favorite podcast oh my god do we ever? Now, listen, we are, God willing, in the end times of the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Um, lockdown will be lifted at some point. More and more people are getting vaccinated. We're going to we're going to we're going to get back to some version of regular life soon. And I don't know about you, but I there were a million things I wanted to get done uh, during lockdown and I haven't done any of them. Nope. Can I play chess? No. Nope. Can I play guitar? No. Um. Someone who is taking that on, head on, is our own producer, Renee Colvert. Renee is, uh, you know, an, an invisible behind-the-scenes force on this show, but she's the heartbeat of mm. the show. And it's so exciting to hear her take center stage on this show. It's oh, my God. My Pandemic Makeover Spectacular. Get it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Renee. Renee's here. Please say hello. I'm here. I, and I guess I'm going to start out crying, you guys. Renee so nice. Colvert. Come on. You're the best. You're the best. Tell us everything. Yeah. If, if you have place in your podcast for a 10 to 20 minute show, so it's nice and fast, uh, and you want to hear someone just sputter and lurch their way towards goals before she's supposed to go back into the office, I got your back. Uh, so it's basically that. It's I'm talking to uh, smart people. Hopefully I can dupe you both into being on at some point to sort of help me have something to show for this time. Because otherwise it's too dark. It's too dark to be like, oh, we just sat at home for a year and a half and I am the exact same person on the other side. So yeah. trying to trying to navigate that and figure out, well, what what's going to matter on the other side of this? I, I like that we are talking about this the week of Valentine's Day because you've just released your second episode talking about your dating life because that's one of the pillars that you're tackling. And what are the others? Sure. So there are four categories, which are work, dating, helping, like giving back, and good looks. Uh, none of my clothes fit. My hair is great. My hands look like bananas. How am I going to pull this shit together before we go back? And I cover each one of those topics each episode. So if you don't like a topic, just give it a week and there'll be a whole new different topic the following week. And I got to ask because, I mean, I know the episode just came out, but have you gotten on and have you taken any of the advice yet? Oh, oh certainly not. No. no, no, no. That's the other element of this is that uh, I think sort of maybe the the humble thing of just like, but changing is really hard and it's great that we all want to have this amazing thing on the other side, but it's also, it's tough. So I um I looked at my paused Hinge profile and decided to keep it paused. I'll keep you posted. We've got until July, but as of right now, I'm still, I'm still scared. I get we'll it. see. We'll see. Wow. I love <laughs> it. It's so charming. 
it's so it's so necessary. It really, it really is. is. It is a useful podcast. People need it. Get it. My pandemic makeover spectacular with the one and only Renee Colvert. Hey, before we go to Daryl, um, I want mm-hmm. to tell you guys. I you know we lost our beloved dog Faye last fall. Uh, I have mm-hmm. in the last few weeks gotten a severe case of doggy fever and have just been going yeah. on. Fr- I have been going on a lot of dates on like. Renee, but mine are, you know, with, with available adoptable rescue dogs. And we are a little gun shy, of course, you know, it is sure. a little soon probably, but anyway, I say all this because over the weekend, someone sends me, uh, my best friend Aaron sends me an Instagram of two dogs, their sisters. They are in the <sighs> Lancaster animal shelter, which I'm told is a, one of the tougher ones in terms of you know, how, how the level of heartbreak that you'll experience when you go and see what's going on there. Mm. They both look alarmingly like Faye. They are brindle Mm -hmm. bull mixes and they are the sweetest. They're, they're like calling out to me through the video. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm helpless here. And so I'm going to meet them by the time this airs, I will have just met them. Um, and after I made the appointment to go meet, two dogs, which is already trouble because I, I can't break them apart. I should say they're eight years old. Their owner died. They were surrendered together to the shelter. Uh-huh. They're now very confused about why they're there because they've always been in a loving home. I get, I make the appointment to go meet them and they say, um, by the way, they did come in with a third dog. There's a brother as well. Who's very sweet. So you should meet him as well. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't take the So anyway, the reason I bring it up is that regardless of whether we decide that one or, or, or more than one of these are the right dog for our home. I'm going to be working to try to get them a foster home or adopted. So if yeah. anybody oh, in the God, LA yeah. area wants, is looking for the ultimate love machine, sweetest, sweetest dogs in the world. Uh, I've got a couple of them for you because. Or three. I, or three, because assuming we adopt at least one, I want to know, I want to at least be able to connect with the other ones, you know? Of course. Of course. Oh, but you can't break those sisters up. I can't break the sisters up. I know. It, 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 look, I, I still have to go out there and meet them. So who knows what will happen? Of course. Um, but now. Yeah, please. Did the brother live with the sisters? I'm told they all three lived together. The the sisters oh, the sisters wow. are are almost identical and they are the like the ones that look exactly like Faye. The brother is a uh, I think nine year old Rottweiler who is gotcha. Th- uh, I, I have no words for just the sweetness that's in his face. So oh my god, I'm in a bit of a well, pickle. you're in trouble. But you are really in a pickle, my friend. If anybody wants to get into that pickle with me, you know where to find me. Okay, I put me to work. Listen, you give me the info. I will I will tweet it and Instagram it out. We're going to get this done, but you can't break up those sisters. You can't do yeah. it. Can't do it. Uh you can't do it. Anyway, okay. Uh, I can't wait to hear how this goes. Stay tuned everyone. And uh and now without further ado, he is an actor and an author. You can see him on the show Be Positive uh on CBS right now. Uh my dear old friend who I haven't seen in far too long, Daryl Stevens is here. 
Dave, it's happening. (laughs) Just in time for Valentine's Day, queer royalty is here at at long last. And when I say long last, it's like, yeah, this is this is sort of in the Sam Pancake category of like, how was this person not our, you know, first guest? But it was on our first like list of dream guests. Yes. And it's almost it so happened. obvious that sometimes it gets lost in the mix and whatever. Anyway, Daryl Stevens. The the fact that I'm on a list with Sam Pancake, I mean, that that is legendary right there. Sam Pancake is legendary. You, Pancake, Sandra Bernhard. That was like, Whoa, that was shit. the Sandra list Bernhard, at the beginning. Wow. And we got them all in like the last two That's months. That's incredible. Congrats. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. How are you? I'm good. You know, the, you know, the, the world is still what the world is, but I'm better than I was a month and a half ago, you know, with that crazy yeah. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does feel a little better. Yeah, it really does. And I, I was thinking about you and I mean, I haven't seen you in real life in years, hundred yeah. years, of course, but um, your Twitter feed was, was such a guiding light. I think for so many people during that administration, especially when anytime the idea was kicked around that like, it, the onus was on the left to have empathy for the right in yeah. some way. You always kind of came back to the the phrase "fuck your feelings" yes. and, in such a beautiful and powerful way. And um, so w- now that we're a month into the new administration, where are you emotionally? You know, I'm sort of just bracing myself for uh, more insanity from the right. I, I don't think mm-hmm. that it's over. I don't think that their little insurrection attempt has necessarily run its entire course, but I do think that we are in a better position to uh, deal with it now. I think now that we've, they've, they've shown their cards and we know that they basically none of them, aside from maybe 10 or 11, are going to stand up and say this was wrong and that shit needs to end now and these racist QAnon fanatics need to be removed from from Congress. Uh, that 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 Reality is as has really kicked in and sort of had me just bracing, just 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 sort of definitely feeling better now that we have an administration is doing things that are not solely for the point of, of, you know, pointing out how cruel they can be that that feels much better. But I don't think that these people are going away. And that's the part that's sort of uh, hard to it's challenging to process. I just feel like it's there's there's. Not a lot that we on the ground can do aside from sort of, you know, comfort each other and, and talk about what we're seeing. But um, hopefully the new administration will be more more um, proactive in dealing with it than, than we've been in the past. I think it's all sort of been, yeah, they're there, but we're not going to deal with it. Or they're there, but they've always been there. But now, yeah, they're there and they're fucking crazy. So we have to do something. Let's get on it. Let's get on and, it. And calling them fucking crazy is not uh, like undignified or extreme. It's no longer hyperbolic. It's like, it's, they're, they're fucking crazy. No, they're fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah, one side is like, um, what if we acknowledge that climate change was real? Yeah. And the other side is uh, Democrats uh, take the blood of frightened children and turn it into a party yeah. drug. Yeah, like that's that's not. Those are not equal things it's, it's at all. Really. I mean, it's 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 a really interesting experiment when you look at the sort of how Fox News has transformed the, the national and then these, these new 
news organizations that have popped up and sort of turned into these conspiracy theory news outlets. How fucking crazy it has made so, so, so many people in this country. It's just really, the people are really susceptible to, to fear mongering. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's way easier. You like you don't have to be for anything anymore. Right. You just sort of have to like believe in some words that you read on a screen somewhere. You don't have to like believe in what policy is and what it can do. You just have to believe like, you know, um progressives uh eat babies. Cuz I read yeah. it and yeah. like that's it's not great. It's not great. And there's not even any logic to it. Like if there was if there was any sort of um investigation on their part where we'd say, okay, so where are these, where are these sound bites coming from? Where are we getting these so-called facts, these alternative facts? Mm-hmm. There's none of that. Yeah. It's just like I heard it on the, I heard it on TV. I heard it on my computer and it's on Facebook and I'm, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? In a time like this, do you know what we don't need is army hammer. We don't like at a time when oh, there's a significant God. portion of the population who thinks that Hollywood is about cannibalism. Just dial dial back your actual cannibalism a little bit. It's a bad look for all of us. Could that could that just not? Can, can we just? Harvey, <laughs> after, after that beautiful movie yeah. with mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not into like. Army Hammer normally, but in that movie, I'm like, oh my god, he's fucking perfect, right? Yeah. And then this, come on, yeah. and come he's on. dropping out of stuff left and right, and, and being dropped by his agency and all that stuff, which is absolutely fine. But I am holding on hope for the sequel because it's in the works. He is supposed to be in yeah. the sequel, but that's what happened. yeah, it would take a real turn, Ugh. I think. Yeah, I think when the publicist quits, something something real bad is about to happen. By the time this comes out, I feel like something really bad will have dropped. Because, like, I think Marilyn Manson oh. still has a publicist. So, if, like, if your publicist is like, mm, I'm out. Yeah, how do you? I mean, how do you get around yeah. that? I mean, how do you talk? How do you talk yourself out of? I want to eat women, mm-hmm. cook and eat mm-hmm. women. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, it's not the best look. Not a great look. Not a great look. So, no. uh, what has? kept you company during the pandemic what have you been watching or reading or listening to oh god i mean there's it's, it's been going on for so long it's we're like a year into it now yeah this this stage of the um, pandemic i should say god okay so I'm, I'm currently reading the prophets by robert jones jr um which is a gay slavery uh epic uh-huh. tale Two, two gay slaves um, African of African descent in America uh, which is just amazing he's he is known on Twitter and the social media platforms as son of Baldwin and uh, he's you know genius so that's what I'm reading I just finished another book called um, the Song of Achilles you know that book no the Song of Achilles, Madeline Miller. Beautiful story, sort of about the queer love between Achilles and Patroclus. Uh, it's, you know, I'm reading, a bunch of, I'm reading a bunch of queer shit to answer your question. High minded queer that, shit. High minded queer shit, if I can find it, yeah. Um, and watching, like I was just saying before we started, uh, Search Party, I'm really into. 
Um, I May Destroy You is one of the things I was really into a few months ago. I don't know if you saw that on HBO yes. Max, but it's Michaela Cole's show, and it's brilliant. And by the way, I, I we have to just acknowledge, even though I don't think anybody holds the Golden Globes to... to I don't think it, it, we know that it's never about taste and quality, yeah. but that yeah. oversight in particular was so glaring, glaring and upsetting and unforgivable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really just it, there are so many. I would say like even Lovecraft Country and uh, the 40 year old version oh. with an e, uh, V-E-R-S-I-O-N version um, on Netflix. I feel like there were these really beautiful shows that. Um, with black women at the helm that just did not get acknowledged. And it's really, it's shameful at this point because, you know, the world is supposed to be waking up to the reality that black lives matter. And here the, the Hollywood foreign press is like, yeah, but not those and not, not the storytelling and not on the screen and not, you don't really care. Who cares? It was just such a great year for art. I felt like, and yeah, so that happened. Not a great that year happened. for the Golden Globes, but not a great year for the Golden Globes. Yeah. James Corden. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. I didn't even see that. I didn't even watch it. You're talking about The Prom, right? I'm talking about The Prom, yeah. James Corden got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it's, uh, it is... He did? Oh, yes, he did. Yeah. Oh, because everybody, everybody I know who watched it was like, it's good, uh, but James Corden. And I, you know, I don't have any problem with him personally, but that that response, everyone's response was like, ugh. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little broad. It's a little big. Um, what, we should be, yeah. what is what is in the high-minded queer shit canon? If there was a reading list, a viewing list that we could offer oh. to the homophilia God, listener. I mean, can, I, can I make a list and, sh- and send it to you later? There's another book yeah. called um, Drapetomania okay. by uh, John Gordon, which is also a slave <laughs> period gay love story, uh-huh. Drapetomania. He has another book called Hark. Uh-huh which is about these two kids, uh, a black kid and a white kid in, in Atlanta. I want to say the black kid tears down a, a Confederate statue and the white kid tries to rob a bank and they end up meeting in the middle of that night on the same night and go on this sort of adventure together. Uh-huh. And it's sweet. Uh, I mean, I could walk over to my bookcase, but it just, just seems so far away. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Um, yeah, I'm going to have to look things up. But yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that I, I'll, I'll send you a list. Great. We'll do a list later. Great. It'll yeah. be on the Twitter feed. And on your shirt, It'll be on the Twitter you, feed. Have, you have Aunt Viv. I have the Black Moms. The Black Moms. Savage uh, class. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, it's Aunt Viv. This is a Savage. Uh, uh, Claire Huxtable. Classy. Now, I can't see the bottom. Who is bougie this and who is, is uh, Ratchet? Devereaux. Dominique, Dominique Devereaux. Devereaux from... Very bougie. And Ratchet uh, is Monique from the Monique Show. Come on, that is it. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. Of those four, who do you most identify with? Claire Huxtable. Okay, That's the right answer. I mean, my mom was very much a Claire Huxtable, so it's kind of a it's it's almost like I saw so much of my mother in Claire Huxtable. It was it was almost eerie. Yeah. Uh, growing up to have the, that that woman be on TV and then have my mother be sitting next to the TV and, and be going, oh my God, you guys are so <laughs> very strong-willed woman, very opinionated, very, you know, strong. Um, I would say, uh, I don't want to say didactic, that's the wrong word, but she was, she would let you know how she felt and she would let you know in a way that you almost felt foolish for not understanding that at the beginning of the conversation. 
I get it. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. That's, that's how I would say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ideal situation. That's my mom. That's my mom. Yeah. And Claire did the same. So, so we have to talk about Noah's Ark. Uh, you know, it, it, I was thinking back like our sort of heyday of, you know, being like we ho bar crawl people. Remember us? Now take me take me into this history. Well, we so Maddie and I did a show, uh-huh. a play. Go ahead, it's, you, you're better for this. Go ahead. No, no, I just we we were in this play, Boys in the Band, together, which we could talk about that forever as well. But I sort of like latched on to Daryl's crew as as that show died down. And um, and li- I lived like in the middle of West Hollywood, and so we were just always running around and getting into falling through bars and, and but it was you yeah. know to be, to be there with Daryl in particular it was like you're literally with queer royalty and just like it felt like we were all in some ways your bodyguards because everybody we could all eyes were on you at all times because you know you got a lot of hands so, everywhere but that is so sweet. it was also the way that you received it was so um it, it was, you know, you were able to balance like honoring that this is like an iconic role and it means so much to people, but also having this kind of like self-deprecating, you know, attitude about it that it was like, who cares? Was TV, you know, at the same time, and <laughs> I just—that's me. You, you, you yeah, that's me in a nutshell, right there. It's yeah. just you, know, you were just such a model of how to be like a grown-up in Hollywood and how oh, to be a thank decent you, person. Maddie. And, that's very sweet. Anyway, so, thank but you. what I wanted to ask is. Can you take us back to the the moment that you got the part? Like, what 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 did your life look like? Okay, so right around that time, that would have been around two thousand three. I mean, that's literally almost twenty years ago, right? Uh, Eighteen years ago. So in two thousand three, I had agents who were sending me um, out for soap opera roles. I had gotten really far on All My Children. That I'd actually been flown out to New York for All My Children to play who? To play some a role that went to Jason Olive. I don't know. I forget the character's name. Okay. But Jason Olive okay. was a model. Later, starred on the comeback. Uh, he was the cute black kid on on Room and Board. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got the role. Oh, I hope he's not listening to this. I heard his audition. I was on the soundstage. Oh, I heard his audition. And I thought, oh, I got this. And he got it. And I was like, I fuck soap operas. I ain't doing this anymore. <laughs> because clearly it was about the fact that he's this tall, beautiful. And he, you know, he is tall and beautiful. And I felt like I understood the character better. I was giving you, lay, you know, levels and stuff. And when it went to him, I was like, okay, I'm not... Do- don't send me on any more of these fucking soap operas. I don't want to do it anymore. So, um, sorry, Jason, if you're listening. I know you are. Um, anyway. Um, and then at that point, uh, right around the same time, a, a friend of mine from college sent me an open call, an email about an open call for a show called Hot Chocolate. And uh, the creator of that show, which was, which was expected to go straight to DVD, was the creator of a film called Punks, which I had seen because other friends in Oakland, some film festival, gay film festival friends, one in particular, Stephen Davis, directed me to go see this. Go see this movie. You need to be in this, this guy's this guy's stuff. Uh, so I saw it. And I was like, Oh wow, black queer people, queer people of color on in a, on screen. This is crazy. Another friend from Oakland, Andy Spildener. 
uh, sent me this email about the open call for his new show, Hot Chocolate. So I, I sent in my stuff. This was back in the days when you would actually physically mail a headshot and resume, not just like email things. And, you know, you would send, you get a little manila envelope and send it in the mail. I submitted my stuff. I got called in for an audition. I auditioned for the roles of Ricky and Dwayne, who was a store clerk, store clerk in Ricky's store, kind of a homo thug, hottie. Booked the role of Dwayne, the 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 thug, the trade basically of of the first two episodes, and I was like, great. And then a month or two passed, and Patrick uh, Ian Polk, the creator of the shows, I probably didn't even mention his name. Patrick Ian Polk called and said, so I've changed my mind about some things. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I, I'm getting cut. I haven't even, we haven't even started shooting and I'm getting cut. And he said, the show is no longer called Hot Chocolate. It's called Noah's Ark. And I was like, okay, that's weird and biblical, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't want you to play Dwayne. I want you to play Noah. And I was like, I don't know who Noah is, but his name is in the new title. So, bitch, I'm in. Sign <laughs> yeah. me up. So, uh, that that year, 2003, we shot a few promotional things that ended up being seen by, or possibly even funded by, Black AIDS Institute. And we were all sort of, most of those um, promotional clips were dealing with AIDS, HIV and AIDS, right? We were sort of, uh, without being too preachy, hopefully, conveying to a population that wasn't getting enough information about HIV and AIDS, about the statistics and how high they were for us. and and how we need to be better educated and getting tested more regularly and stuff like that. So those clips got seen by someone at Human Rights Campaign. Human Rights Campaign funded a tour where we took these three promotional clips and eventually a pilot, which was uh, paid for by Black AIDS Institute, around the country um, to black film festivals and black gay pride events. And someone at a soon-to-be... on the air network called Logo, a, lo- a network in, plan- in planning stages, saw those clips at a film festival and um, ended up signing Patrick to be their first scripted show on Logo, which was Viacom's um, Gay and Lesbian Network, which I think is still on the air, but just plays Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, on a loop, yeah. I think. No, I don't, right. I'm not sure. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, so we were the we were like the big flagship black queer sex in the city on this this fledgling gay network. Uh and that was crazy because we didn't really have a context for what the network would look like or the show would look like, right? We didn't know we just didn't know anything. So when the show first landed in the work in the on the on the air, it was it was you know, kind of mind blowing because yeah. I'd never been, I'd been on TV, but never sort of in the lead, never on a show so gay and so black. You know, it was there were no shows so gay or so black. You know, prior to that show, so it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, it, huge deal, and it was it's also huge. The, like I, I, I two thousand three. I'm thinking the U.S. queers folk was was like probably in the middle of its run then, or maybe yeah, the t- queers folk was and, on. Uh, Will and Grace was on. I want to say L word. I mean, all, we we those mid aughts yeah. were sort of rife with uh, queer centered shows, but also um, where very white centric shows until Mozart came. Yes. Out. Yes, exactly. So Noah's Ark came and sort of broke broke the mold of here, here. This is what queer people look like. They're all white, 
and living in, you know, in circuit parties. But um, no shade to queer as folk because I know people on that show. <laughs> hey, Peter, I know you're listening. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So, so Noah's Ark was really just sort of a the the the, the first of one or two or three shows that really sort of venture into that pose being, I'd say, probably the next, which is crazy because that was, that would have been 12 years later yep. or something like that. And um, during, the, during its run and when it was really at its peak, did you ever have a moment? I mean, I, I, I know it's just not who you are and it's not in you, but did you ever have a moment where you're, you weren't quite so grounded. You weren't quite so humble. It's hard for me to imagine, but I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I would have probably turned into a monster at some point. I would say the first year when we were, because we were flying around the first year when it was airing. I don't know if I became a monster, but I was definitely a little bit harder to talk to. Probably. I was a little bit like, ugh, I'm overwhelmed by all of this. And I need you to give me some space. You know, it was a little bit of that more than I am the shit and don't fuck with me. It was more, it was more like, Oh my God, because we have to promote this, I'm being flown into these rooms where there are way too many people who are familiar with the show and the character who want to talk to me and I'm overwhelmed and just you know, I just I just never been I'd never had that experience of being sort of recognized by more than one person in a room. You know, it was it was it was intense. And I was thirty, you know, so it was I was young back then. When so, I met you in like I I guess two thousand nine, twenty ten and we were yeah. doing Boys in the Band, it was, you know, you were obviously nothing but a sweetheart, but but very guarded at first, I would say. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and, and yeah. understandably so, because no one knew who anyone else the cast was. You know, you were, you were it. And uh, I don't think anybody ever uh, mistook it for arrogance or anything like that, but it was so, I don't know, gratifying to see that kind of melt away once you realize like okay these guys are cool you know what we probably never talked about matt i went through a terrible breakup right before i booked that show so what you the person you melt you met was having a meltdown yeah. it was actually i was dropping weight i like but i still look at pictures of me in that play and i'm like 15 20 pounds lighter like i was going through it it was one of those things where I decided, okay, I can't deal with life at home. I gotta go and do some work. I gotta, I gotta get out of the house because I'm, I'm melting. I'm having a meltdown. So when you met me, I was just sort of trying to crawl out of that broken shell. So yeah, that makes sense that you thought I was a little more reserved back then because I probably was just shell shocked. Yeah, you were dealing with a lot of, a lot of shit. Sounds like. Yeah. Now, if you had booked. All my children. Would you be? Would you have been out? Well, here's the crazy thing: we weren't even out when Noah's Ark was on the air, right? Because okay. there was a there was an agreement. Half the cast was identified as straight. Half the cast identified as gay. I guess. And because we'd seen how uh, the the media had treated the cast of Queer as Folk and every other show that had to do with you know gay men. It was always the straight actors who got all the love and the accolades, and the, the gay actors are sort of dismissed and pushed to the side because hey, you're just playing yourself, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. So 
Patrick, in his wisdom, said, okay, we're doing this. No one talks to the press about their sexuality. The straight boys don't talk about it. The gay boys don't talk about it. It wasn't like we were in the closet. All the gay actors were very, for the most part, openly, outly, very out and gay. But because the media was so fixated on it then, and it's not even the case anymore. Like, you, you have queer characters on TV now. The media doesn't care if the actor's gay. Like, it doesn't even come up. Like, you don't even think about it. He's playing gay. Great. He's, he's good in the role. But back then, because we were so starved for representation, and we just didn't have as many, you know, we didn't, I don't even think uh, Neil Patrick Harris was out back then. Like, I feel like we've had a lot of out and proud actors since then. That just wasn't the case in the early 2000s. So, so we weren't talking about it. And had I been on All My Children, now, as I didn't watch all my children, but I don't know that Jake, that that character lasted very long. <laughs> and I think I know why. I did look it up. It was Frankie Hubbard, uh, Frankie. son of uh, Jesse and Angie. Um, and no, he did not. He it was recast a lot. Mm-hmm. It was one of those where he was six years old, and then he went upstairs, and he came down, and he was he had just graduated yes, from just college. Like on division, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, right. So. Had I been on All My Children, I do think that my agents would have been a little bit more uh, in love with the idea of me not talking about it. I would say, here's the the other thing. Those agents who were sending me on soap opera auditions, when I booked Hot Chocolate, um, really tried to dissuade me from taking it. They were sort of adamant about me. This is going to be... This is not going to look good. This is going to be too sexy. It's going to be too much. It's going to be too, it's going to be too much. This is not you know you're not going to work after this. And so I left that agency. So I left anyway. But at that point, had I booked it, I'd have, I'd probably I would have had to move to New York. I would have had a completely different career trajectory. I I would imagine. And so, had I kept working, who knows? Who who knows what would have happened? I think that. Because I was already out and I had been doing queer theater in San Francisco in college, so it wasn't like I was ever really publicly not. I mean, yeah. I'm gay as hell if you ever meet me, so it's, it's, there's not really a big question. Every time I would do an interview with somebody, but when we weren't talking about our sexuality, I know I keep doing air quotes, yeah. but you won't hear this. <laughs> you won't hear my air quotes on the podcast. It's in the voice. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway, sorry, Peter Page. I know you're listening. Um, um, because uh, I would have been in New York, I would have had a completely different career trajectory, and I don't know that it would have come up in the ways that it did, given that I was on this show that everyone wanted to know who's gay and who's, you know, who's not. Um, but I was, I'm pretty gay, and so I don't think it would have been a secret for long. And it never, it never really, it never honestly occurred to me that it was something that I was going to, it was not something that I felt like I was going to go through the trouble of lying about or, you know, I certainly wasn't going to be walking around with a woman on my arm to, to play that role. Like, I just wasn't going to do all that shit, right? But maybe I wouldn't bring it up or maybe I would just sort of dodge the question. Maybe I would be, you know, which is what we did for those first two years when the show was on the air. Just kind of wink and nod and look in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That's that's. I think. Did I answer your question, Dave? That yeah. Was sort of, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been. It would have been different for sure.
So what was, how would you characterize your dating life during Noah's Ark? Right. So the first year I met somebody uh, online because I was really, I freaked out a little bit about people recognizing me. So I stayed in my house a lot. I was very much like a homebody. This was before a pandemic. We even knew that pandemics were a thing we could experience together. Um, This was in 2005. And... uh, yeah, I was really kind of a shut-in because I just didn't, I wasn't, not all of the response to the show was positive at the beginning. There's actually quite a bit of pushback from uh, black gay men who felt like we were representing black gay men as queens. And this was, I would say, in the in the mid-2000s, in the mid-aughts, uh, the homothug look or persona was kind of hot the same way that the Abercrombie yeah. gay boy was hot, like the surfer boy, the surfer frat boy was the thing, and then the thug, the thug gay boy was the thing. And this was also the, the, we were, this moment where it felt like culturally we, we there was some agreement that like them equaled unserious. Exactly, exactly, and and undesirable, yeah. right? Like you could you couldn't be you couldn't be femme and be sexy at all. Right. Like there's no such thing, right? That doesn't right. that doesn't translate to. No one saw that. So, so on this show, we were, we were, so I fucking, for, oh, the question was dating. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I was, I was, I was sort of shut in and someone, I guess MySpace would have been the thing back then. MySpace or Facebook reached out to me talking a good game from Chicago, um, fan of the show, but also just had his game on point was very much like knew what to say i was i was shy and didn't want to talk about it but he was he just had he had it all unlocked so he ended up traveling with me a lot to those during that first year of promo because he he would just get on planes and come to atlanta or dc or wherever we were miami and sort of be my escort through these clubs where people were giving me too much attention. So I would say that was the year because I had this man with me who was like, back up. <laughs> Woo. Which even, you know, you think you talk about it now, it's even kind of like, oh, okay, that's kind of hot. But, but, but in retrospect, it was not, it was, it was, it was a mess. But so dating, I would say started off Rocky after Noah's Ark. And I think because of the way that that relationship ended and I won't blow his shit up on the podcast because why bother? But it, I, I I was a lot more um, cautious with the with the next ones, and I think that I was uh, deliberate about not necessarily entertaining fans of the show anymore. So so it became it became sort of a goal to find people who had not seen the show or who were not, or maybe they'd heard of it, but hadn't seen it, were not necessarily attached to their idea of who that character was and who I was supposed to be for playing that character. So that sort of took me in a weird direction. Uh, there were there were probably more white dudes than I would have imagined in my life because of that sort of um, stipulation. Um, and the one that the one that uh, I had that breakup with right before I met you, Matt, was sort of the pinnacle of that. Like, oh, this is where are you going, Daryl? That was you went so far in that direction, girl. Come on back, girl. So it was it was sort of that. It was sort of that. 
And so dating was very much, I was sort of a, my friend Sloan would call me a serial monogamist. I was, I was very much going from one boyfriend to another boyfriend without a lot of reflection or, or healing in between and repeating a lot of the same mistakes. And, you know, I would think if, if, if this one is old, was old, was four years older than me, the next one would be four years younger than me. And I would have figured out something different. And that, that was never the case. Right. It was very like you're doing, it's the same thing over and over again. And you're not actually connecting with these people. You are looking for someone to hold you at night because you're lonely. That's all. <laughs> so it was a lot of that. I mean, isn't that what life is? Right. Um, I, and I'd say it wasn't until, you know, around four years ago that I, I really started to, to kind of uh, raise my standards in terms of what I thought I deserved. Um, and not that any of these were bad men. These were, these, were, these were men who were just kind of doing what they were doing. But most of those, what, most of what they were doing didn't necessarily make sense in my life. Um, uh, so yeah, so dating was, was, I wouldn't, I want to call it interesting, but I would say it was the opposite of interesting. It was pretty bland and it was, it was a lot of, um, mostly people who would approach me on, you know, social media. I, I, I wasn't doing any of the, the apps, but I was obviously on Facebook and, and my space back in the in the eighties, whenever that was. And, um, so I was meeting most people, most of the people I was dating. Cause I'm kind of a, I'm kind of shy in person. I'm not necessarily somebody who's going to walk up to someone in a bar and go, Hey, you want to, want to do this? You know, I'm not that guy, but, uh, I did encounter a few people who were that guy and very rarely did those situations work out. It was usually someone who would come approach me sort of politely and with you know some 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 dignity and some sort of patience and i was just you know uh yeah so that's that's what dating was like and how like what lets you know you can trust someone to be talking to you for the right reasons if we can borrow a bachelor phrase <laughs> i you know i I, I would say I probably didn't learn that until recently. And I yeah. think that what I thought were the right reasons or what, what felt right was um, I'm interested in you and not what you do. I'm interested in, you know, I'm also, I'm also a relationship person. That was a big thing for me. Like I, because so many gay men are, are into these transient sort of ephemeral, see you when I see you or you're not really here or whatever, you know, this is happening right now, but, nothing will be happening later. Um, that seemed to be so prevalent that I was really attracted to people who seemed to be interested in the opposite of that, which was, I'm interested in you. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's talk all night. Let's text all night. And then let's talk on the phone all night. And then let's sit in each other's face and talk. And let's just be people who are interested in talking and, and interacting and, and each other. Let's be, let's be interested in each other. That was a big deal for me. So, People who, who came at me with that game sit, tended to get further than people who came at me with, yo, you want to do this? Or what's, what's good? Right. You know, that, that, that line didn't go far for me. I was very, mm-hmm. after that first boyfriend in 2005, I was very like, okay, I'm, I, now I see game. Now I know what game looks like. I'm not going to fall for that again. Right. So you have been happily partnered for three and a half years? Is that right? Yeah, about three and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Tell us your meet cute. 
What was his approach? Oh, so here's the, here's the crazy thing. So I was never on the apps. Finally, after being single for about a year and a half, my friends were like, look, and I'd met people. I'd met people out in the world. Like I felt like I was finally becoming the person who could be approached in public and respond in kind, right? Like I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can, you can walk up to me in this coffee shop and I can be like, okay, hey, you're cute. Let's talk. And I, and I'd had two situations. Someone approached me at Ralph's, the grocery store here. Another person approached me at the coffee shop where I used to do my writing. And, uh, you know, they seemed very meat cute And then they turned into, how do I say this? It became clear that they were on the apps and that I, this, and they're approaching me and put in, in the way they approached me was not necessarily specific to me. It's like, they're just approaching everything that they see. And this was the equivalent of like a sup on. Yeah, exactly. A sup mm-hmm. on the app. So I, I, I learned that probably later than I should have in one situation, but fairly early in the other. And then I finally said, okay, so if, even if the, if the people I'm meeting in person are still on the apps, and I'm the only out, I'm the only asshole not on the apps. Maybe I should get on an app. And all my friends who were on the apps said the only one that you could stomach would be would be uh, Tinder because Tinder for the gays is sort of like Match.com. It's like the it's like the calm yes. relationshipy version of gay dating apps. For straights, it's it's like Grinder, but for gays, it's it's it's, it's wholesome. So within a month. Uh, is that right? I hadn't gone on any dates. I probably, you know, texted with a few people. And again, I was sort of, I recognized the game and I was very like, okay, what kind of person are you? What are you into? And then I met this man. Uh, and we, it was very meet cute in the conversation. Like I was feeling emboldened because I'd just dealt with these two men that I met in person and been like, ugh, what? Yeah. What you've been doing, Daryl's not working. This shit is not working. So I decided to be the more proactive, like, okay, this is an app. This is what people do on the apps. Just talk to him. He, you, you matched up. What does he want to do today? Hey, what are you doing today? That was kind of, that was my approach. Like, do you want to hang out? You want to go see a movie? You want to go to coffee? What can we do? How can I get to know you? And he, I think, was a little caught off guard because he had just gotten on the app as well and was like, I'm just kind of feeling it out. I just want to see what I'm hearing that Tinder's the safe place to go if you don't want to be, you know, messy. And uh, we had texted back and forth for probably two, three days. And then on the third or fourth day, we decided to go out. It was Beyonce's birthday, by the way. Great. National holiday. Uh, yeah, Never national forget. holiday. And, I, and it was actually like Labor Day or something on that year. But whatever that September holiday is. But um, he was off work that day. So we went to get coffee at this place called La Brea Bakery on, believe it or not, La Brea. Sure. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and we were going to get coffee, but it was kind of crowded and brunchy because it was a holiday. So we had mimosas instead. We talked about how weird our families are. We have these sort of weird family dynamics. We just jumped right into the conversation, and somehow we clicked so instantly. It was the, it was the weirdest thing where I just was like, "Oh my god, I feel so comfortable sitting and talking to you." Granted, mimosas were involved, they but but um, 
it, we ended up going from from the coffee shop to a uh, nursery that used to be across the street as a Target there now, but there was an Osh Orchard Supply Hardware. And we went and talked about how much we love plants. And then from there, we went and we went and got tickets for a movie. We were supposed to see, um, it was an Aubrey Plaza movie. It was not Anger Goes West, but he reserved tickets for the for Anger Goes West, even though we were supposed to see the one about the nuns that was out that, at that point. Oh, I yeah, forget what yeah, it was yeah. called. <laughs> I, I were nuns. vaguely remember, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, but those two were at the same time. And we were talking, anyway, he reserved Aubrey Goes West. We went to lunch. We had beers. We had burgers. It was like the most perfect first date. We just hung out the entire day. We kept saying, do you want to keep going? Do you have anything else to do? No, you, let's just keep going. Um, I ended up coming to his house where I now live that night. We did not hook up. We, I met his parents. You met his that parents night. that night? I met his, they happened to be here. I met his parents that night. So it was very much like, oh, I'm already in the sort of, I'm already here. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. So then, so then he's a doctor. He was, he was uh, teaching residents something about, he's a, he's a, radiologist, mammography. He was teaching something about mammography, so we had to get a chicken breast to show the, the residents how to do this thing. So we went to Ralph's and bought a chicken breast so we could show the residents the next Like It was like the most, like, we're domestic already. It's already so comfortable and so cute, and he's just he's silly in the way that I like. He's loving and family-oriented in a way that I really adore. It's just sort of like Oh my God! Finally, I get it. This is what this is what it was supposed to be. He's also from Iran, born and raised in Tehran. So there's something about having, uh, I think, someone not American, a perspective not American. But I think I found so refreshing because I've, I had been, I think I just mentioned, sort of dealing with a lot of white men, but also dealing with a lot of black men in different ways. And I was just so tired of that conversation. Yes, there are conversations about racism that need to be had. And I felt like I could have them with my my current with him. But we were having them in a different, they were just different, the conversation was from a different context for him because it was a perspective that I had not really been familiar with. Uh, so it was just, it just all felt new, but also very cozy and very uh, easy right away. And it's been it's been that ever since. So after night one and meeting the parents and everything is day two. Do you like pull back a little bit and like wait for him to call you and play it cool? Or do you just no, sort of no? There were the that was running? the other thing. There were no games. It was like because I, because I think I was so direct in wanting to hang out. There was no reason that like we're not going to go back now. Like what's what? Who's gonna, why bullshit? Like we clicked so well on that first date. It was like, okay, so when are we going when are we going out again? And then we went to Boston over for dinner the next time. And it was just like it just it was easy. And stayed easy. Just kept being easy. Yeah. And we, and I, and and we didn't like have sex until date five. Which is we, a like, long time. Like, when you're when you're doing like long day dates, especially. Time. Yeah, yeah. We made out, uh, you know, most nights, but, but, or most times we hung out, but like nothing, we didn't jump into bed like we are expected to do. We kept it cute. And it's, it's, it's such a sweet, it's just a, it's, uh. I mean, this is uh, the love story of a generation. Yeah. I love it. You are a glow. <laughs> when did you move in? 
I moved in last April, so right around the time that everything shut down. So we weren't going to talk about this, Matt, but I'm just going to we're going to bring it up. Oh, great. Okay, oh. you're you're in charge. So I, we moved in because we decided to have a a kid. We decided oh. to have a baby. I know, I know. Uh, uh, and it just made you know. Obviously, I was I was expecting to be the primary caregiver because he's a doctor, and I was going to be the out of work actor that I have been for the last. Not out of work, but you know, actors yeah. work occasionally, yeah. right? So we have we pop in for a couple of weeks, and then it's nothing for a couple of months. But um, so the plan was, I'd stay home and raise the baby. And this is a wild story. I don't. Am I going to get into it? I think I'm going to get into it. I think this is the this is the announcement. I think yeah. we're doing it. What a okay. Getting so, an exclusive. This is the you're getting it. You're getting it. Homophilias. All you homophiliacs are getting it. Okay. So, uh, uh, my partner's brother is married to a woman who has three kids. They have three kids together. I don't know why I said it that way. The point is, she's had three children. And when my partner brought up that he wanted to have a kid, we were go we were looking into egg donors and surrogates, and finally she just said, "Why don't I just carry the kid? I know how to do it." I love being pregnant. We're like, really? Because as gay men know, it gets fucking expensive. Yeah. Like the egg donors, yeah. you know, tend to tend to fifteen grand, right. but then the surrogates a lot. The way it's a huge chunk of money. Um, so the fact that she offered that up was huge. They happened. They happened to be living in China for my brother-in-law's. Uh, my partner's brother's work, um, and they came back in December of 2019 for the embryo transfer. So we got we got, found this cute black girl in North Carolina to be the egg donor, uh, mm-hmm. and we used oh my god you're getting the whole tea, and yeah. we used my partner's material, and we did the egg transfer in December of 2019. And they were staying here for Christmas, right? They were staying in this house, those extra five people in this house, for Christmas and for the transfer. And when it came time for them to go back to China, maybe you remember in January of 2020, there was word of something happening in China. And so they didn't go back. So they lived in this house the entire nine months and then a month after the child was born. So the embryo transfer happened in December. The baby was born at the end of August. They lived with us. She breastfed the baby for the first month. Like it, it, it's been the most magical experience. The baby is lovely. I mean, the um, pictures I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's 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 really sort of a, a, a ma- been a magical story, a fairy tale of of. Gays having a baby, and, and she's you know so what an unexpected blessing to get to be part of the pregnancy in a way that you wouldn't have. That was that was a huge blessing because we expected them to go back to China. She was expecting because the kids were in school, her three kids are in school. She would be home, pregnant, chilling all day. You know, the kids were able to go take an elevator down from their house, walk to school. She'd just be home waiting for them. It ended up she was pregnant with uh, with us here the entire time. So it's really a, it's it's just a beautiful. They're still part of our our pandemic pod. Like those, those are the only people we see basically. They're still in town. They're still here. They're still in town. Yeah, they they decided not to go back to China. 
I mean, now we wow. can't go back to China. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't go anywhere because of Trump. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the story of this baby. Ugh. Wow. This is, the, this is the miracle. This is the good news we all needed. Yeah, it's been a really, you know, everyone was everyone was going through so much just awful, awful shit in 2020. And 2020 for me was all about family. And we'd have family yeah. dinner every night with 10 of us at the table upstairs. Literally a long dinner table, like like you see in like Italian films, right, where they're passing salads around and kids are yelling, and that was us Dream. for the entire year of 2020. It was beautiful. Did you God, always want to be a parent? You know, I didn't know. I did. You know, this. I we're not even married, and we're not married because I don't think either of us had ever imagined it for ourselves. And I think that. You know, in the, in 2008, I was one of those people on, you know, at the rallies on stage going, fucking give us the right to marry. And it was about, you know, our uh, our right, the right to get married. Not necessarily that I thought, oh, I'm going to be married, so I want to fight for this. It was like, I'm paying the same taxes as my straight brother. Why am I not able to do the shit he's able to do, right? That was my position. So marriage never seemed like an option just because like, growing up it wasn't. Now it is. Kids never seem like a reality because it just didn't seem like a reality. But now it is, obviously. And when my partner came came to me with the idea, I was a little bit like, oh, a baby? Like, I kind of, I have auditions. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, it just didn't seem like it was going to fit into my life. And then I thought about it for a couple of days and I was like, I'm in my mid-40s. You know, what, what? what's the next phase of my life going to be if not, if I'm not taking this time to to do something for the next generation, why don't I bring someone into the next generation? It just felt like that was the best, the most direct way to do it. And it just felt like we were both at, an, at a point in our lives where we were mature enough that we'd be able to handle it. You know, I feel like... No disrespect to my mom, because she did a great job, I think, but she was 20 when she had me, and I can't imagine what I, what a disaster of a parent I would have been at 20. But now that I'm in my mid-40s, I feel like, okay, I kind of have a grasp on who I am and who I want this, you know, the world that I want this child to grow up in and how I want to present the world to her. You know, all these things I think I would not have had any sort of sense of even five years ago, but I do now. And I felt like this is the time to, to do something with that knowledge and with that, and with that, you know, and kids are amazing. Like I love kids. I'm, I'm hanging out with his niece and nephew, his niece and nephews for the last three years has been amazing. I feel like I'm so connected to them. And then they lived with us for, you know, it's just, it's just been this, like this gradual, uh, process of the universe sort of pointing me in the direction of of child rearing and it's just been it's been amazing so the the gag is that i was expected to be the primary caregiver with my non-working ass and then like two days after we brought her home from the hospital i get a call from my agents to put myself on tape for something a chuck Lorre show that i know i'm not gonna get right So I'm like, sure, I'll do it. I haven't slept in three days because I, you know, because this thing over here has been up every two hours. Um, put myself on tape, 
without going in a second time, booked the role. I've been working the entire five months she's been alive. <laughs> it's been crazy. But luckily, you have so, like a family, an entire. But we have a, a built-in, a built-in uh, nanny service. They're, they're, her grandparents love her to death, and she loves them. So it's it's every time I, she's up there with them now. Every time, um, you know, I have to do something. Can't, I just kind of go up. You want to hang out with your granddaughter? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's a little party do. up there. And I, I, yeah. Oh yeah. My so God, it's amazing. I, love I it. cannot imagine a person better suited to be a parent in my mind. Maddie, Truly. you're so sweet. I, Stop I, it. What, what have you learned about you? I know it's only been five months, but what have you learned about yourself as a parent? I'm, 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 I'm impressed unimpressed i am encouraged that i am as patient as i am i just feel like there are moments where i would probably have freaked out in the past and i will i'll admit in the first three weeks if she'd cry i would cry like you'd be like oh god what are you doing right but you know as she's gotten older She's five months. She's not old, but she's you know she's 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 sort of developing a little personality, and I'm just seeing that she's just this joyous little person. That when she does have a moment of sort of being upset about something or not wanting to, to lay down right now or whatever she's having going through, I, I I'm able to approach it with such like love and patience that I didn't necessarily know I had. It's just sort of like, oh, but baby, whatever you need, I got you. In a way that I didn't really. You don't really have this, even with the man I'm with, who's the love of my life, you don't have the level of love that you have for a child. There's something different about holding a baby. It, she's handed, the first day, on her first day, she was laying on my, on my bare chest. And that connection is so profound. This is like a brand new human that you get to, sh- to shape and take care of and love. And... There's something so deep about that love um, that it creates new wells of patience and love within you. You just become this this new being, this new creature of infinite care and 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 adoration. Like you just can't you can't have it, get enough of her. It's 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 kind of incredible. From the outside, all of those things are how I, I would have described you anyway, you know, but, uh, oh, you know, stop. being a parent is the only way that you really discover some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, though. That's very sweet of you to say. Wow. I love this story. I love this baby <laughs> who I have never met and or seen. Yeah, I'll send you a picture in a minute. Oh, my God. Daryl, thank yeah. you so much Talk about worth for doing way. this. <laughs> yeah, and when we first when we first talked about it, I was in the I was in the thick. When we first talked about coming on the show, she had just been born, and I just started working on that sh- on the on be positive. So it was sort of like I can't can't quite wrap my head around sitting down and talking right now, but I'd love to when the time presents itself. You know, oh, that I sort love of. It. I'm so I glad love you it. Did. And uh, yeah, so obviously too. everybody should be watching you on be positive and. I know you're you're writing a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there any other still doing music that too. In the, uh, looming in the future from you? 
For me, no. I've, 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 you know, putzed around with music, but it was always sort of like, as a songwriter, more than a, I never really wanted to be a singer, not really a singer, but it was like, I could write songs and, you know, come up with tunes and beats and stuff. Um, but uh, one of my, one of my, my primary writing partner, Kyle Puccia, he and I have a, uh, a stage musical called Hipster Sweatshop that we are adapting for TV that will have us writing songs all the time. So there will be more music. It just will be, not be, you won't hear me singing it. I'd like to, but we'll take whatever <laughs> we can get. You sweet. Daryl, um, someday when we're when we're able, let's all do a West Hollywood bar crawl. Let's fall through those bars like it's let's 2011. Fall through, <laughs> fall through those bars. Two of them will be left standing. We'll we'll just go back and forth. I know, right? Everyone's got to be going out of business. What the hell's going on out there? Oh my god, it's a disaster. Yeah, but we'll do it. We're gonna do it. We'll all make right. up for lost time for sure. Daryl, thank you. Daryl, so, thank you so much.